Luke chapter 6. I thought, we thought we'd never say Luke chapter 6. I know, but we're there. Verse 1. It says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, under the old covenant that God had with the Jews, keeping the Sabbath, which is the fourth of the Ten Commandments, was of the utmost importance. It wasn't an option. In Exodus 28 through 11, it reads this as, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy or set apart from the other days. Basically, is, is the, that's what means keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your sons, nor your daughters, nor your male, nor female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so under the law of the old covenant, the Jews were commanded to cease from all their work from one day of the week. And that day of the week is from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. And that would be their day from sundown to sundown. And that is the Sabbath for the Jew. And to show you the seriousness of keeping the Sabbath for the Jew, Exodus 31, 13 through 14 says, Say to the Israelites, speaking to Moses, you must observe my Sabbaths plural. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you and anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. And so taking this day off and and making it holy was not an option if you desecrated it, which the word means to treat it as common like every, any other day, you were put to death. And so, as the Pharisees are seeing Jesus' disciples walking through the field, and they are grabbing this grain, and they are putting it through their fingers, and they're separating the wheat from the chaff, and they're munching on the kernels, they're looking at them and saying, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why are you working on the Sabbath? How many of you like that interpretation of that? They wanted to have a snack, but the Pharisees were seeing them as defiling the Sabbath. They were saying, hey, you're technically working on the Sabbath, and that is unlawful. And really, this reveals the heart of the Pharisees. They were the legalists and had interpreted the law to such a degree that it twisted the original intent, which we'll get more into in a minute. But just as a side note, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament law, it was there was nothing wrong with walking through someone's wheat field and, and grabbing some grain as you went along. You just couldn't take the sickle to it. You couldn't harvest. I remember as a kid, we'd feel incredibly guilty because we'd walk by and there'd be these huge orange trees down in California and we'd on our way to school and we'd just we'd pillage the things. I mean, there would just be... It, that was stealing. You're not allowed to do... They could, so you could walk by and grab one. That's okay. But you can't pillage the place, you know? And, and so it was totally legal, and you could have uh, Deuteronomy twenty three twenty five says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick the kernels with your hand, but you must not put a sickle. You know, don't 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 abuse it. 
And so you could go through that field and you could pick that. So it wasn't unlawful. No, the, but the Pharisees were categorizing what the disciples were doing, simply walking through the grain fields on the Sabbath and picking heads of wheat as they went on their way as working on the Sabbath. And as you are beginning to see, as we are going through the book of Luke, we are introduced to this group of religious leaders called the Pharisees, and they are a real joy to be around, if you have not noticed. Um, they were the legalists of the day, as I said. And the name Pharisee basically means the set-apart one, the set-apart ones. They were the kind of sort of holy ones. Uh, if you know a little bit of history uh, of about where they came from, there's a gap of about 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They call this the intertestamental period. And uh, during that time, Alexander the Great, who was a Greek, came through and conquered the whole known world, like in 334 BC, started that, that adventure. In about 13 years, he conquered around 3,000 square, mi- you know, square miles or something like that, one of the largest uh, conquests and quickest conquests ever. And this really began the Hellenization of the culture. Now you're going, what in the world are you talking about? You're talking space, you know, Klingon or something. Now, it just means that the Greek influence on the daily life of everybody around was permeated. The language started to shift. Greek culture started to come into all the other areas, into Jerusalem especially, uh, which was the focus here. And Alexander the Great, basically, he, he did that in 13 years. And in 323 BC, all that he conquered began to be uh, divided up when he died. It was divided, I believe, among four people. But eventually, uh, Seleucid king Antiochus, Antiochus, I don't know. I'm trying to sound pastorly. Um, Anti-OKS. No. (laughs) Number four. Antiochus Epiphanes, number four, the fourth, right? He deposed the priest of Jerusalem. So he went in to their, their city. He deposed the priest in Jerusalem. He installed his own puppet who would be more sympathetic to the, to the Greek cause. And this really started to influence the culture within Jewish society. And so while this guy was away in Egypt, there was a rumor that he had died, and the deposed priest led a rebellion, the one who had been kicked out, led a rebellion back to go ahead and take over stuff. He succeeded, but this uh, Antiochus, whatever his name is, gosh, I had it down, uh, came back in 168 B.C. and mercilessly slaughtered thousands. I mean, 40,000 here, 40,000 there at a time, and it was just an absolute horrible situation. He came into the temple, he killed the high priest, he entered the temple, stripped of, it, of its all of its money, its objects, the golden lampstand, uh, the, 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 the altar um, of incense there, <coughs> um, the golden altar, and then he dedicated the temple to Zeus, and some sources say that he sacrificed a pig in that holy place, and some believe that that was kind of maybe referencing the abomination that causes desolation. Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, by the way, it means God, God manifested. That's what he called himself there. And he was in the temple. That's another study for another day. But a few years later, a priest, uh, Mattathias, he killed a fellow priest who a Greek official had ordered him to perform a pagan sacrifice in the temple, and he killed him, and he fled with his five sons out into the wilderness, which began the Maccabean Rebellion. This is all happening during, during the Old Testament and the New Testament. And 
he came back and he, he kind of gathered other ragtag Jews who were really devout and pious, and they started this guerrilla warfare against the Greek culture there and the Greeks who were in charge. And what you find out is that they eventually, they overtook it again. And that was the Maccabean Rebellion. And they restored somewhat of an independence, it seems like, under Roman help. So now the Romans are starting to come in, and there's more influence there. But all that was to say that um, it was a rejection of the pagan Greek influence uh, that that was in there, that the Pharisees came out of that rejection of that influence of that Greek culture within Judaism. So they were purists. They longed to go back to the original. They longed to come and and wipe out all that other stuff. And they were the separated ones. They rose out of this as a, both a political and a religious class, and, and they were the ones who brought people you know, back to the Scriptures, back to the traditions, back to the Torah, all that had been attempted to be infiltrated and tossed aside. And eventually, after Jesus, through this group, they, they would eventually turn into what is known as, as basically the rabbis, the rabbinical movement. But like most movements, which I consider that there's a lot of great redeemable things in that. How many of you despise the infiltration of the world into the church? How many of you just long for what the Lord would, a purity, a, a, you know, a longing of just simply reading the word and going for it? I mean, that's how the Reformation began. There's a lot of things there. It's in our blood. It's in our history, Right. So there are many redeemable things about these guys, but like most movements, they start with a man or a woman and and it becomes a movement and it becomes a machine and then it becomes a monument. It's kind of what happens, you know, or as I like to say, a man movement method mausoleum. That's kind of what happens, right? And the Pharisees, they began as a movement that was dedicated in holiness to the Lord. Holiness is a sweet thing to the Lord, to be separated from the world unto God. You know, somehow I believe that's one of the things that the younger generation is is missing in their gospel is holiness to the Lord, a separation, being untainted from the world. And somehow they view that as unloving or, or, or discriminatory and all this type of stuff. It's like, no, God calls us to be holy, to be separated, not even to engage with those who call themselves Christians and yet are engaged in all that stuff. There's a holiness, there's a set apart in our lives that the Lord desires for us to have and to be. And yet, as we talked about last week, He calls us to be in the world, but not of it. Amen? Not to be out on some kind of you know, monk palace praying in the lotus position, away from everybody, that to be Christ incarnate, engaged in the, world, the lost world. Amen? Yes. We're not to be uh, just in the church as well. Amen? I, I have a quote, uh, for lack of vision, people perish. And I wrote it with like a parish, like a church. That's my quote. <laughs> people for lack of vision, people just hunker down at church. They don't live it out. You know what I mean? And the vision from the Lord is to be filled with the Spirit so much that it overflows to your family and people around you and all around the world. I mean, that's God's, God's calling uh, Jesus in you, the hope of all the world to come flowing out in all your decision-making and everything in life. And 
And I don't know how many of you, but it's really easy to switch from, yeah, I got saved, I love the Lord, I'm zealous for the Lord, to where I'm now I'm contemplated, and now I'm a legalist, and now I'm a Pharisee, and now I'm telling everybody else what to do, and I'm not doing it, and I'm becoming critical and judgmental. Anybody else been there? Yeah, I know you have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know... You know, I'm the biggest problem in all that. That's the truth. But over the years, these guys became the machine, and they eventually, you know, the, mon- the monument, that mausoleum, decorative on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. And that's what broke the heart of the Lord in his interaction with them, is that they had all the accoutrements of, of religiosity on the outside. But on the inside, they were dead. They were loveless. They were all law and no love. Now, I think we struggle on the other end where we don't obey the scriptures and we define whatever we want as love, but that's not where we are this morning. We're here. But they began to interpret the laws of Moses with interpretations that were never intended and they added burdens that could not be carried by the people. And it was looking upon these burdens as Jesus looked at the people in Jerusalem that were upon God's people that Jesus cried out in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's my Jesus. How many of you feel the weight on you this morning? All the shoulds and shouldn'ts and all those things. I tell you what, it creeps on us and we start taking burdens we shouldn't and all those types of things. And But when I'm with Jesus, there's an incredible freedom. When I'm in step with the Spirit, there's something He does in my soul. And by the way, I'm not breaking the law. <laughs> it's beautiful. The law of the Spirit, the law of love. We'll get there when we get to Romans. But so the Pharisees looked at people according to rules and traditions, what they were and were not doing. And they neglected the spirit of the laws and the traditions. In Matthew 23, Jesus really lays out what Pharisees were all about. Let me read it for you. You can read along if you want. Matthew 23. Says then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, teachers, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in, this, in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. So they had a real great exposition of Scripture. But what they did did not match up with what they taught. And that's one of the greatest struggles I have as a pastor, as a teacher. That's why James says, let there not be many teachers among you. Amen? That should scare you if you're a teacher. So you must be careful, Jesus said, to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift their finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, these are the boxes with scriptures that they would put on their foreheads and on their forearms. They would make them real big. So they, they didn't carry around like your normal Bible. They, they carried the old, like, Look at my Bible. You know, they walked around with the big Bible because they were really religious. 
And their tassels, Jesus says, were extremely long. And those tassels were to remind them of God's plan for them. God's, God, they remind them to obey the covenants of the Lord, to keep the commandments. And so he says, and the tassels on their garments are long. Verse 6, they love their place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue and the church. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others, but you are not to be called rabbi. Uh, for you have one teacher, and you are and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you uh, will be your servant. It's interesting. What is the Pope called? <laughs> Papa. He's called Father. What does the Scripture just say right, right there? You don't have to call him Father. What do they do? What do we do? I love titles. How many of you like to, like, you know, I joke around. People, like, like when I'm making reservations, they find out you're a pastor or it's like a medical record. They're, oh, you're Reverend so-and-so. I'm like, no, it's the righteous, most holy, super Reverend Matt Dotson. You know? <laughs> In the negative, actually. <laughs> but he goes on, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he goes into seven woes, which I'm going to read. On the Pharisees, verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. These are the people he's interacting with, right? You hypocrites. You shut the door on the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter uh, who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. By the way, this is Jesus. Is this your Jesus? This is my Jesus full of grace. Thank you, Lord, and full of truth. Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound to the oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar which makes the gift sacred. Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law, the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel, which was unclean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside are full of greed and selfish indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You see what Jesus is speaking about here. The outward versus the inward. Verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. They would mark these tombs on the outside because you couldn't touch them. You know, you, you were as a Jew, you'd become unclean if you touched them. So they make them all pretty on the outside, so you wouldn't touch them. You'd recognize them. He says, they look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, were they full of the dead of everything unclean? In the same way, on the outside, you appear to the people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you built tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part in them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And so you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Verse 33, it gets better. You snakes, you broods of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers, and some of them you will kill and crucify, meaning the disciples, I would assume, and others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town like Saul did, who was like Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was one of these guys. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, uh, son of uh, Berechiah, uh, uh, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under wings, and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So these men were all religion and no relationship. All letter and no spirit. All head, no heart. And so the Pharisees asked Jesus, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? That's the lens through which these guys are looking at. Always looking at the outside and never looking at the inside. Seeking to, to find an infraction in someone's life. Who can live under that weight? Any of you ever been in a relationship like that? It's a burden. It breaks hearts. And Jesus answered them, have you never read, verse 3, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He answered the house of God. Uh, he entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bed, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And the, Jesus said to them, "Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath." Jesus re- re- references this story back in First Samuel twenty-one. Says, "Have you never read?" Now, what do these guys do day and night? And this is probably makes them a little mad. Oh, don't you, haven't you read your Bible? Don't you remember when? There's like, you know, but David was on the run from Saul, went into this place in in this temple and he was hungry and all that was left was the bread that was consecrated to the Lord, the show bread, the the bread of presence that was before the Lord. And it was only lawful for the priests to eat Aaron and his sons in the beginning. It was only lawful for them to eat. And so what happens? They're hungry, and you've got the situation where, oh, this bread is only for this religious purpose. What does the priest do? He says, are you holy? Have you been with your wives and all that stuff? That's another story. They said, no, we're on a conquest and all this type of stuff. He says, okay, and he gave it to them to eat. Jesus recalls the story, and Jesus is relaying to the Pharisees from scriptures, these guys from the Bible, that's where he's reasoning from them uh, to them from, that God desires mercy over sacrifice. That your God and my God desires mercy over sacrifice. I love that about God. I'm thankful He desires mercy over sacrifice because there's no sacrifice 
that I could give that would earn his mercy. Aren't you glad in his very nature he is merciful? Amen? How many of you like mercy? Oh, yes, I like mercy. How many of you blown it lately? Anyone want mercy? How many of you want justice on yourself? Not really. I want mercy. He enlightened them about the heart of God. In other words, this priest didn't make David and his men starve by withholding food from him because it was dedicated to God. He was merciful. And guess what? So was God. God was working through that priest, by the way. So Jesus is enlightening the priests about the heart of God. Love fulfills the law. And also Jesus lets them know that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. That means if, if, if Jesus is the one who invented the Sabbath and Jesus is cool with it, what are you guys worrying about? Amen? He's Lord. That means he's kurios. He's over the Sabbath. I love that. And I think these are really important reminders to us as parents and as leaders and brothers and sisters with one another. You know, there's a real danger of having a, a, a legal relationship with God and others based upon the letter of the law, and we can miss out on the heart and the spirit of what God desires. More on that in a minute. But it's a real danger for us to become like the Pharisees, to act like God's cops when we don't have God's heart in us. As we read in Matthew 23, the Pharisees were outwardly perfectly, but inwardly defiled. They kept the Sabbath to a T, but they did not understand the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And God never intended us to have that legal relationship with Him alone. Some of you have, this morning have had a legal relationship with God. In other words, you believe that your um, relationship is based upon what you do and do not do with Him. And if, you, if you've broken that or if you do this and all this type of stuff, you just, you just have an, a tremendous weight of guilt placed upon you. And that is how you've lived your Christian life. You've never discovered the grace of God. And grace is not a license to sin, by the way. Grace is not a license to not go to church. Grace is not a license to forsake the, the gathering of us one together. Grace is not an, uh, uh, an example, uh, is not a license for us not to share the gospel and all that stuff. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what it is. It's when you know His love and His mercy that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sins. You run to the Father. You run to Him, not from Him. You don't try to put some little thing together and present it to Him. You just say, oh, help. <laughs> and I tell you what, it frees us. It frees us. Oh, I'll do better next time. I'll do better next time. I'll do better next time. How have you had that conversation? You start making deals with God. Yeah. Try to get that outward perfection. But see, Jesus says, clean the inside and the outside will follow. Spend time with Him. Focus on Him. Let Him be your life. And as you're closer to Him, you become like Him. As you... Let Him fill your heart. Your attitudes change. Your heart change. Your mouth changes. Your actions change. Amen? True religion. And 
these guys, they, you know, they kept everything, but God did not intend for us to have that legal relationship alone. But he desires that we'd be in a love relationship with him. How many of you are in a legal relationship with one another right now? To where you are looking and making sure they are dotting the T and crossing the I's. No, it's the other way around. See, I even got that wrong. (sighs) You know, it's that we would know him, his heart, and we would see his heart through his word. And, And Luke's really been revealing the character and the power of God as we've been going through Luke. He wants us to know God, not just the technicalities, what we're supposed to do and not to do, but just know who he is. And it's interesting, Luke has this, I mean, uh, Jesus has an interaction with Philip and John, and Philip goes, Philip, show us, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And, 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 and what does Philip, uh, Jesus say to Philip? He says, have I been with you so long you don't recognize me? You know, I and the Father are one. You want to know what God's like? You look at Jesus. You look at Him. And so we've been looking and we've been seeing who God is, His character, His heart. How merciful He is to those who are downtrodden, who are broken, who have been demon-possessed and overwhelmed and all these things who've been crushed. He's just, He's all over those people. The humble, amen? That's why I love the Christian Aid Center. He's all over it. And in this room, some of you probably broken, heavy-hearted, weighed over by sin. Do you know Jesus is close to you right now? He loves you. No, he's not dismissing the things you've done. He actually died for them. <laughs> he paid it in full. But Luke's been telling us that Jesus is Lord over demons. He's Lord over sickness over cleansing. He's Lord over sin. And Luke has emphasized so far this in his letter. And and now Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of rest. And that the Lord of the Sabbath desires mercy above sacrifice. And Luke, Luke gives us another example. Let's read through it real quickly. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They just knew he was going to heal him on the Sabbath. That shows you their heart. They're looking for him to do a good thing to get him in trouble for crying out loud. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. Again, that's a scary verse. Jesus knows what we're thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. They were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Have you ever been in that situation where you're just looking for someone to mess up? I already mentioned it. We were just looking at someone with a heart that is just waiting for them to say something wrong or to do something wrong. I mean, you're looking for even the tone of their voice to be off, the way they text something. You know, if it isn't in the right order, you just... Have you ever been there? I haven't, but I heard a lot of you have, so... Um, <clears throat> If so, you can relate what's going on in their hearts, right? Revelation 12.10 identifies Satan as the accuser of the brethren. He stands before, he stood before the Father night and day and he, and he calls out every little thing that we've done wrong. That's what he does. He's the accuser. And the Pharisees are his sons. The question is, are we slanderers? Are we accusers? Lord, change us. 
It doesn't mean we don't speak truth. Amen? But what's the, what's the purpose of the truth? Is it reconciliation? Is it healing? Is it for their best? Or is it so they just conform to some little model and get in line and stop bugging me? So these guys were really critical. It says in verse 8 that Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to them with the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. And so he got up and stood there. Verse 9, then Jesus said to him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do? To do, good, to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? And you see, they were looking at the day as a day that you were not to, supposed to do stuff. Right? When the Pharisees would let that man remain crippled rather than do something they thought would violate God's law. They did not know God's heart. The rabbis had decreed that no one, whether a physician, a friend, or a family member, could treat a sick person on the Sabbath. To do so would constitute work and therefore breaking the Sabbath. There were two exceptions if someone was going to die or if a woman was giving birth. Those were the two exceptions they allowed. Any other thing was considered work. When I was in Israel, I've shared this with you before, I got on the wrong elevator. And I got in and, and I pushed the button and it went up to the next floor and it opened. And it closed. And it went to the next one and opened and closed. And there's no one getting in and off and it's just me on this thing. And I'm going, what in the world's going on? And so 10 floors later, I get out and I go, what? No, the elevator's broken. Byron, you can speak to this. I it's probably Byron over there. Well, that was, it was the Sabbath. And I got on the Orthodox Jew elevator as opposed to the Gentile elevator. <clears throat> because pushing a button initiates a spark, which would be like starting a fire, which is considered work. When I first got here, I lived in College Place, and I drove down there, and I I was on fumes on a Friday night. I didn't know this. So I pulled over to the gas station, and I go to get gas in my car, and it's locked. It's locked. It's locked for a reason, because no work's supposed to happen, right? I understand there's convictions. But the Sabbath was never intended to keep people of God from doing good or allowing good to happen. And that's an important thing. The rabbis had decreed those things. But I have mentioned this because the Sabbath under the old covenant in Jesus' day was, was really and never intended for the things that the guys had made it into. And so verse 10, Jesus, he looks around at them all. In, Luke's, in Mark's gospel, says he looked around with them at anger in his heart. Jesus had righteous anger towards them and great disappointment at the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the guy, stretch out your hand, and he did so. And his hand was completely restored. You know, perhaps these Pharisees seem far away from this this morning in closing. From your situation, you don't hate Jesus, you're not a legalist. Check, check. But let me ask, uh, do you think it's possible us to be very religious, to go to church, to give our tithe and to serve God faithfully and religiously and yet be stubbornly against the heart of God? Do you think it's possible? 
to go to Bible studies, to know the Bible, to preach on Sundays or whatever it might be, and to be against God's heart? Is it possible, on the one hand, to identify fully as a follower of Jesus Christ and yet have unforgiveness or even bitterness in your hearts towards a brother or sister that you're unwilling to rectify with? What's a Pharisee? You know? I'm just saying, it hits close to home. When we start digging a little deeper, we look at their box and go, well, I don't do that. Which is exactly what they were doing, right? Jesus said, look at your own heart. What's going on? Am I a Pharisee? Do I have unforgiveness? Am I truly living out my faith? Do I say one thing and live another? Do when I look at scriptures, do I look at it and say, yes, uh, you, you guys do that and this is what should happen, but I don't do it in my own life. Anyone else? Lord, forgive me, you know. I, I struggle with that. So, because Jesus pointed these things out in their hearts, they wanted to kill Jesus. Instead of responding in repentance, and saying, you're right, Lord, help me. What did they say? It says, verse 11, But the Pharisees and the other teachers of the law were furious, and they began to discuss with one another how they might do Jesus harm, right? What they might do to Jesus. Mark's gospel says in chapter 3, verse 6, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians and how they might kill Jesus. That's how hard a heart can get. You know, as we continue to grow as a fellowship, I pray that we would not only be a people of the word like the Pharisees began. That's a good thing, amen? To be a people of the word, to hunger and thirst for what God says and to cling to every word that Jesus says and to just grab onto it with all our heart. That is what we're called to on one hand, amen? I believe that is for us who love what God has said and who just long to be holy and separate from the scene of the world and all that stuff, but that we would also be a people of the Spirit. And I don't think they contradict one another, by the way, but who would know the heart of the Father who sent us His Word that all men might be reconciled to Him through His Son. That we're part of the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling darkness to light. That we would not only be a people full of truth, but also people full of grace and mercy and love. We'd be known for those things. Amen? who stand firm on what God says at the same time it's demonstrated in love and the power and the wisdom of the Spirit. And I pray that our religion, by the way, religion isn't a bad thing when it's the right one. And by the way, we have the right one. It's Jesus. Jesus is the right religion. (laughs) He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. I pray that it will not keep us from reaching and teaching the lost, but would cause us every single day of the week every opportunity we have to reach out with the mercy of God through the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know God will say many, many to many in this valley through you, through you to others, stretch out your hand. And guess what's going to happen? As they trust in him, they're going to stretch out their hand and God is going to heal them. He's going to forgive them. He's going to cleanse them. And God will get the glory. Amen? So let us be a people of the word, but also people of the spirit. Amen? So let's pray. Lord, we come before you now. And 
God, I, we ask that you would forgive us for that critical spirit within our hearts. That legalistic look. The, the same measure that we would desire for you to have used against us, we would use against others, Lord. Let us be known as a people of mercy and forgiveness and love and grace. And not throwing aside what you've said, Lord, whatsoever. Help us to walk in the Spirit. And I pray for the heart that is heavy laden this morning, that's burdened down. I pray you'd reach in and free him this morning. For the Pharisee in here this morning, I pray that you would knock him off their donkey and make him a Paul and let him rise again. For the man who's got the arm that's just crippled, I pray that you'd speak to them and say, stretch it out. And that it wouldn't be based upon our circumstances, but on what you say, and that we would just listen to what you say, and as we obey, that you would heal. So God, reach into this room and shepherd your sheep. If some of you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, now's the time. You've never bowed your knee to his, his throne. You've never said, I, I surrender. I've lived a legal life. I thought I was good because I kept all this stuff, but I can't keep it. Jesus came and died in your place because you could not keep the law, but he kept it perfectly. He died on the cross for your sin, for your shortfall. And by faith in him, Jesus said, you will be forgiven and you have eternal life. If that is you, if you've never done that before, raise your hand and call out to him. Raise your hand right now. If you can't, if you can't raise your hand among Christians, you won't raise your hand among the world. Anyone. And we will pray for you. Give in and just let them do it. Raise your hand, brother, sister. It's not for them, it's for you. You and the Lord. Lord bless you. God bless you. Lord bless you. He sees you. He knows you. Anyone else? For you Pharisees in the room, I'm going to raise my hand first. I'm going to raise both of them. Anyone else? Lord God, help me. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. He sees you. All of, I mean, this is the whole church, basically. We need you, Lord Jesus. For those who lifted your hand to receive Jesus, just pray in your heart after me. God, I've sinned against you. And I believe that you sent Jesus, your one and only son, to die in my place. And I believe that all my sins are now forgiven. Come and make me new. I believe that your son rose again on the third day. And I believe that through him I have eternal life. And now I surrender, I surrender my life to you. I give everything, my faults, my hopes, my dreams. They're all at your feet. You are now my Lord. 
Lead me from this day forward, Lord Jesus. For the rest of you, for the rest of us, Lord God, cleanse us of our, of our hypocrisy. Make us more and more the children of light and truth. Forgive us where we have been judgmental and harsh in all these things and have not been merciful. Forgive us. Teach us the way of truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.